Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's episode is supported by Wick Realty. I recorded every interview over the past year or so in my home studio, including this one. My family and I love our house and our neighborhood, and we're here because Wick Realty helped us sell our previous home and buy this one. Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying, if you're selling, if you're building, even if you're a first-time homeowner, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Nail Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout-out to Art Restoration by Leah McLean, to Mariner Wealth Advisors, to Casey Carpet One and Amarillo Art Institute. Read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Dr. Eddie Sauer. And if you are a regular listener, you've heard that name before. Eddie is my dentist. Shimon Dental has been a regular sponsor of Hey Amarillo uh, for the past five or six years, I think. And Eddie and I have been friends for at least 25 years. But he also just completed three terms on the Amarillo City Council after deciding not to run again this year in 2023. And before that, he had very little interest in politics. And so I wanted to talk to Eddie, not just about political stuff or any hot button council issues, but about why he ran in the first place and what he learned in the process of serving the city in that capacity. We also talk about his dental practice, We talk about his life in Amarillo and Kenya and a whole lot more. So here's Eddie Sauer. Dr. Eddie Sauer, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for the offer, Jason. And I've been looking forward to it and I think it'll be very interesting. Okay. Well, I do too. That's why I asked you to to be on the show. I I should say we've known each other for a long time and I knew you would be a good guest, but you were uh, a politician for several years and so I... You know, I'd, I'd put off talking to you. But now and that's I all behind you. I appreciate that, actually. Yeah. Um, now we can talk about everything, right? Yeah, we can. So I want to start with you the same way I start with all my guests, and that's just to ask you how you ended up in Amarillo in the first place. Well, um, I arrived in Amarillo in December of 1961 at Northwest Texas Hospital. Okay, via birth. Then. Via birth in the old hospital. Your parents, had they lived here for a while? Uh, Mom had lived here for a really long time. Dad had only been here for probably, he got here, I think, in 1958, and he started as a junior accountant for Pioneer Natural Gas. Okay. Is that what brought him to this area? Was That's it petroleum? A, yeah, it was. It was the fact that, so he was an accountant by degree, and this was the job offer that he took. Okay. Where did you go to high school? Canyon High School. Canyon High School? Yes. Once you got to the end of your high school years, did you know what you wanted to do? Know what direction you wanted to go? Well, that's really interesting because actually I knew probably from the time I was in the ninth grade that I thought I wanted to be a dentist. And it was kind of interesting. Um, I can remember just clear as day all these years ago that I was sitting in a algebra class with four friends and uh, the four friends in that class, two of them said they were going to go to medical school. Two of us said we were going to go to dental school. One of us went to med school. One of us went to dental school. And the mm-hmm. other two did other things. Okay. That's a, that seems to me a weird thing to know you wanted to do at ninth grade. 
to, you know, work in people's mouths and touch teeth normal. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But maybe that's just my personality. It never occurred to me that you, that was something know, I'd be interested it, in. It's really, it, that's, I look back at that and I think that's pretty odd. I think part of what I would caught on already was the fact of medicine, science, that kind of thing was very interesting to me. I already knew by watching people that I knew that were doctors uh, that I did not want the life of a physician and okay. the call of a physician. And back at that point in time, you know, their call was way worse than what it is today. You know, you have hospitalists today that kind of let physicians and internists kind of have their lives a little bit in the evening. Uh, but back at that point in time, you know, they were pulling call early in the morning, late in the evening, seeing patients all day long. And the people that I knew that were dentists, they carried on a normal life. And okay. so that's, that's probably what headed me in that direction. What does the educational path look like? Or what did it look like back then when you decided that's um, where you were Well, you know what? And it's really not much different at this point in time. Um, so back then, you would do uh, four years and get a degree. Uh, you pretty much couldn't get into dental school or to med school without a degree, although I've got a couple of friends that were in my class in dental school that uh, they didn't. They were close, but they didn't get their degree. And then uh, dental school, you have four years of dental school. And at that point in time, you either can make a decision, do I want to specialize and be an orthodontist or a periodontist or an oral surgeon, or do I want to be a general dentist? And I can tell you from my own personal experience, I got in there and thought maybe I might want to do something, but by the time I hit third year, all I wanted to do was get out yeah. and have a real life again. What's the uh, What's the easiest path out, I That's guess? That's exactly So where right. did you go to college? So I stayed home, went to WT. Okay. Mom and dad made a deal with me, and uh, so I stayed home and went to WT. I had a couple of friends, which was interesting. Two of my closest friends went to Texas Tech, and one of them came back after the first year, and uh, we lived together for a couple of years. Mom and dad were kind enough to let me live in an apartment in Canyon, and uh, so uh, after I finished at WT, then I went to what's now Texas A&M, mm -hmm dental school, but it was Baylor College of Dentistry at that point in okay. time. And then once you get to the end of dental school, you still have a variety of paths you can take. You sure can. Um, not every dentist just wants to open up, you know, their own shop. Did you know, like, what direction you wanted to go as a general dentist? And did you always think, well, I'm going to come back to Amarillo and do this thing? So I will say this. So Tina and I got married in July and I started dental school in August. Okay. And um, I was counseled by several guys that I knew that said, that's the dumbest move you'll ever make. It'll be hard on your marriage, blah, 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 blah. Um, I will tell you, Tina actually centered me through dental school. Mm -hmm. And that was the best thing that happened. So we were there for about six months in Dallas. And we knew really quick. The big city, it's kind of like Green Acres. The big city life was not for us. And so we wanted to come back to Amarillo. Okay. So you graduated. That was, you came I, back. Yeah, I graduated, came back with the help of my brother and his girlfriend, who is his wife. I met uh, Dr. Larry Schultz, ended up going into his practice, ended up buying his practice from him. And then the rest of it's kind of history from there. Okay. Yeah, so you've you've worked for yourself or owned your own practice almost ever since then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I ended up buying his practice 
because he was going to limit himself. He was limiting himself to just treating TMJ. So I bought half of it December the 1st of 87 and half the other half January the 1st of 1988. And so, and things are different today. They're mm -hmm. way different. So back in 1987, 75% um, of the practices out there were private practice, single okay. owner or just a handful of ownership type of a deals and um, all of the corporate dentistry and all of the group dentistry, that was less than 25% of okay. practices. And it's absolutely the opposite right now. Right, right. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I, th I heard a statistic just this week that basically said if you're in DFW, I think I actually heard it from my brother, that 75% of the practices in DFW are some form of corporate dentistry or is, that time. Is that a good change from, from let's say, from the consumer standpoint? We may not know the difference, but like ultimately, does that benefit or are there some drawbacks? There's both. There's actually really, there's both to that. So um, in some cases, whenever I went through dental school, they give you no management, no business, no accounting, yeah. no financial help. And so you get out of school and you're expected to treat patients and yet at the same time figure out some way to run a business. Yeah. And that's difficult. Uh, and again, that's where Tina steps in. So she graduated from WT the same time I did, and she had a BBA in management. So she stepped right in, and uh, not that things were bad, but, boy, she cleaned things up and put things in right order and basically set us on a trajectory to be financially really sound and and for me, that let me focus on being a good dentist. Right. Now then, as far as how things are today, it's a little bit of both. There are some times that uh, you're going to run into to some of those, and they're called DSOs, that money drives them. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to run into some DSOs where basically uh, it's more private equity are involved, okay. and they're more interested in setting up really good guys that are going to let them have a return on their investment, but let these guys practice. And it just takes the management and the business side of it off. Okay. But in those cases, you might have private equity owning it. And that's somebody that's not and the, local yeah. or out of state even yeah. sometimes. Oh, yeah. And it may be somebody huge, mm -hmm. a really huge. It may be like even J.P. Morgan or something like that that's basically. And there's several of them that are really big. And they're ran really well, and nobody would ever know that they're yeah. that that the practice has been purchased or portions of the practice have been purchased. But again, it does take some of the risk oh, it, away. It takes it some of the management side away, and so you can just be a dentist. Yeah, yeah. So it's really so it's a little bit of both. So in some ways, things you know, some things never change. Yeah, I know that you know you haven't always only been a dentist. You've been involved in the community in a lot of ways. I also know your family, like you've gone through some personal tragedy, um, yeah. you know, during, during your career as parents. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, um, <laughs> or, or can you talk I, about I, that? I don't I mean, know. I mean, you know, that happened, that happened th over 30 years ago and it still, it doesn't, be, it's, but yeah, I don't mind talking about it. Well, tell, tell us what happened. I, I know now that you have Four girls. No, we do. Three of which are triplets, triplets. which um, people may not know. Uh, but you've had, you have five children. Right. So uh, tell, me, tell me about Nathan. Okay. So in 1989, we 
had uh, our second child, which was Nathan. And, um, and we basically kind of even thought maybe we were through with having kids. We just, were yeah. done. You had a, a boy uh, and a girl. So. Yeah. And then, and then after that, we tried some more and Tina had a couple of miscarriages. And so we kind of figured, okay, maybe that's God just telling us we're done with that part of it. But then we're like a, every other typical family. Um, so you go through all these different childhood diseases and all of a sudden, uh, Nathan gets the chicken pox. And so we, we don't think anything of it. Um, and so early in December of 92, he gets chicken pox and two or three days later, um, we always ate breakfast. I always ate breakfast with the kids before I took off to work and I'm eating with him and he is lethargic and, kind of swaying around and Tina and I are both concerned. And, uh, so, um, she gets a hold of the pediatrician and they go in and I get a frantic call from her saying, uh, we're headed to the hospital. Hmm. And so, uh, basically Nathan got a strep A infection underneath his chicken pox. And, uh, four days later he was gone. And, you know, you never hear about, you You know, and I, I even went through all that in pathology and stuff, and you talk about those kind of things. Uh, but until something like this happens, you, you don't ever even realize exactly how dangerous, you know, that that can be. And um, chicken pox basically wipes out your immune system. You have no immune system. And so um, he had a strep A infection that came on one of his, and he only had four or five bumps on his back from what I remember. And Tina may tell you something different. Um, and he got a strep A infection from it. And uh, we got him to the hospital quick. They did, they put him on IV antibiotics quick, and it still wasn't fast mm -hmm. enough. It wasn't fast enough. And he just started shutting down and started shutting down and started shutting down. And next thing you know, um, they have Tina and I in a room and saying, he's not alive. He's mm -hmm. gone. And we had to make the decision to, uh, to take him off the ventilator. And, um, and that, I mean, that's not a decision any, any family member wants to make no, about a member the of their family. Decision. I it can't was. imagine it with a child, especially a young child like that. Yeah. yeah, it was tough. It was really tough. And then we immediately go through and start trying, like, we start trying to have kids again. And she, Tina has two or three more miscarriages. And so at that point in time, our, uh, our OB-GYN said, well, and I had already started seeing in uh, some new people coming into town, uh, things were beginning to kind of ramp up at the medical school. Mm -hmm. And so they had a reproductive endocrinologist. So that's their thing is helping moms get pregnant. And so suggestion was we go meet him. And so... We went over to the old St. Anthony's office building was where he okay. was at at that point in time. And so we met him and start going down. He goes, oh, I, I know exactly why. He did a couple of tests, said, I know exactly why you're, what's happening. He goes, um, what's happening is Tina's ovulating too late in the cycle, and therefore the quality of the egg's not good, and that's what's happening. He, and he goes, we can fix it. And we go, okay, how do you fix it? And he said, well we have to use some fertility medication and we have to make her ovulate when she's supposed to ovulate and then you all will be fine. 
And we look at each other and we think, oh, this will be great. And he goes, and he goes, but the side part of that is you may have multiples. And he said it that way. He goes, you may have multiples. And Tina and I look at each other and we go, twins. That'd be cool. Yeah, fun. <laughs> That'd be cool. So um, we go through and that happens. And pretty quickly we get pregnant. So we go in and Tina's having all of those things that make her feel like she's about to have another miscarriage. Well, that also happens when you have this huge amount of hormones running through your body. And so we're in there and we're, they're checking for, they're doing a, a sonogram and they find two. And I knew the sonogram tech and I look at her and she looks at me and her eyes are about this big around. And, uh, Dr. Jacobs goes, oh, this is cool. And he's up there talking to Tina. And she goes, uh, Dr. Jacobs, can I see the wand? And he goes, sure. So he gives her the wand. And I look at her and I go, did you see what I saw? And she goes, yeah, I think I did. So we start looking around. And pretty soon we see a third. And there's this conversation. And all of a sudden, Dr. Jacobs goes, what are y'all talking about? And uh, she goes, uh, Dr. Jacobs, you, you might want to come look at this. So lo and behold, we got three. Yeah. A couple of follow-up questions, and and, I, and I'll kind of package this in thinking about the triplets, because anytime multiples are born, a lot of times they end up in NICU, they come early, there are always some complications. It's it's a hard labor. You know, you guys had been through this tragedy, and then as parents, you go through this moment of joy at birth, but also, like, you have a lot of needs, and I, I want to know kind of how the community, your community, whether it's dentists, whether it was church, friends, whatever, came together in both of those, both of those situations for you. I can't tell you much about Nathan's death. That's a blur. It's a fog. It's a fog. It's a blur. As a matter of fact, I don't much remember December of 92 until sometime in the summer of 93. Wow. So I, I, and I know that both sides of the community helped a lot. And I know that we had really good friends and I remember a couple of them and they would come to the house and they would just sit there with me, not even saying anything, just we're going to be present. Yeah. That says a lot. Yeah. Actually, that says a whole lot. Um, the other way was whenever the girls came, yeah, we had tons of help. Then we also had, well, like you and Amy, y'all babysit the girls for us for a little bit and helped us out. Well, and I don't know how much trust you had in us. This was before we had our own children. And all of a sudden, like three children. <laughs> were y'all children, even married? We were married. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, I remember your girls had they had alarms attached to oh, them yeah. in the beds. And I was just like, I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> somehow, somehow you yeah, trust you us know? to take care of these tiny <clears throat> little girls. But the deal was, well, we did. I mean... We'd had you guys in the college department at church and yeah. Sunday school and done stuff with all of that. So, yeah, we completely trusted. But the other thing was, you know, you just gave us, and people, other people did this, it gave us an evening break to just go out for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And maybe it gave us a little time with Donnell because now then we've got a nine-year-old and three newborns. Right. And... We have to focus and try and work our very best. And I don't know that we always did the very best of that, but we had to make for sure that we made room and made time for Donna. Right. The risk is that the nine-year-old ends up being sort of a junior mom. Which well, she was. is helpful, but yes. like you don't want to push a child into that and take no. away And take away childhood. their childhood. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I guess we should say all the, all the girls grew they're up healthy. All, yeah, they're all healthy. 
they're doing well. Uh, two of them are expecting babies. So yeah, life is good. Okay. Let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, if people know your name, not as a dentist, they may know you because you were a member of city council for three terms. Yeah. Six years. Six years. You first ran in 2017, mm -hmm. correct? Tell me why. Um, I don't remember who made the comment, but the comment got around uh, really quick. After 2015, there were a lot of different things that actually happened. Right. You know, um, Jared Atkinson got fired. Uh, the city attorney quit. Um, everything was in disarray. A temporary and city manager came temporary, in. Temporary, yeah. yeah and and was that was controversial. A, and that was a fiasco. Yeah. Uh, he turned out that actually he was, he's a great guy. Well, Terry has passed away, I believe, but he was a great guy. It's just, that's a lot of stress. Yeah. Anyway, uh, somebody made the comment. We asked for change, but we didn't ask for crazy. And that's kind of how it kind of came across. And if you had have asked me, Previous to 2015, 2016, if I would have ever considered that, no, there's no way I would have. I, I never even was on city council or student senate. I never did any of those kind of things, never wanted to do those kind of things. But uh, Tina and I were having a conversation, and uh, she was in a running group, and some of these girls have been that she runs with have been kind of talking about that. And I was talking, we were headed to lunch, and I was about to fly out to go teach an Invisalign course, I think. So we would go to lunch on Thursday. I would take her back home. i go get on a plane and go fly to wherever the course was being taught. And uh, I'm griping to her about it and saying, well, why didn't one of these husbands just go? Uh, so this was at the point in time when Brian Eads okay. resigned. And so they got to fill that nine-month right. term. I said, why don't they... Why didn't so-and-so do that? And the answer to that kind of took me back because Tina would never say something like this. And she looked at me and she goes, well, why don't you do it? And I didn't know what to do with that. So, <laughs> so I came home and we talked about it. We prayed about it. We did all of those things of going through it. And I thought, okay, I can, I can put my name in the hat for this. Uh, it's just nine months. Because it was, it was that unfulfilled term. It was that unfulfilled term about. of Brian Eads. And doing that, I knew that the people that were going to make the decision were the people I needed to talk to. So there were four left on city council. And so I was able to meet with three out of the four. And um, one of them, and, and I didn't know them other than I knew who they were from mm -hmm. being in office. Um, and so one of them, the one that probably had the biggest impact on me was the mayor, Paul Harpo. Hmm. So I had an appointment set up for him and I met him up at city hall and it was at two 30 and it was a 30 minute appointment. And so I walk into the office and we start talking about this position and blah, 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 blah. And the next thing I know I get up and it's five o'clock and Paul said to me, he goes, I'm going to tell you this, you're not going to get chosen. He said, I can tell you right now, you're not going to get chosen. He said, but what I need for you to do is I he said, I need for you to consider running in 2017. And I walked out of the office. And I thought, no way. Hmm. There's no way I'm going to do that. Like you do it for nine months. You didn't want to do yeah. it for two years. Yeah. 
oh, wait, I did it for six. (laughs) (laughs) So um, as it turns out, so they end up reducing it down to five plus two alternates. Okay. So you know who the two alternates were? No. I was first alternate and Frida Powell was second alternate. And this was to replace replace Brian Eade's position. So neither one of us made that position. I'd never met Frida before. Mm -hmm. Um, And so anyway, Tina and I continued to talk and watch and see what happens. And uh, I kept in touch with Paul and I kind of got, and he had me get in touch with several other people. And then one thing led to another and I decided, okay, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring and what am I doing? Yeah. And so Lisa Blake ended up getting yeah, Lisa, that appointment. Yeah, she she did, did not run she again not run. after she fulfilled that term. Once you got elected, let's say, did you have a pretty good idea at that point what it was going to be, what you were in for? Oh, I had no idea what I was in okay. for. Uh, the, that's the real reality is I had no idea what I was in for. Um, and But I will also say that... Um, I also didn't go in with any kind of preconceived notion of what I expected to get done. Okay. Um, all I will tell you is, so, and it remained this way all the way through, and I will tell you even after, after being out of office, my direction as far as what I would like to see for Amarillo is still the same. I want it to be a place where my kids want to come back and raise their kids. And so... Therefore, everything was on the table. Um, I had to consider everything. And and I considered it in the light of what do I need to do to help Amarillo become a place that's going to attract my kids, which are your age. Yeah. What's going to attract your age group back here and make them want to stay here and have kids. And And then hopefully that replicates itself. So um, that's the only preconceived idea. That so you didn't come in with a platform or an agenda like well, civic center related or oh we're going to add police officers or like. No, I, as a matter of fact, you I were a single issue kind of candidate. Right. right. It was. Yeah. It's what what do we need to do to make Amarillo be a place where people want to come and live? Um, the only other thing that I will say was, you know, there had been a lot of a lack of civility during that previous two years. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make the environment as civil as possibly could. Cause I felt like that people that hold that office, you're actually, you're really held to a higher standard. Yeah. What do community members not understand about the reality of what you do on city council? I mean, we, we all have an idea and we yeah. see you sitting at the desk and you're voting for or against certain measures and, and that sort of thing. But like what, what do we not see? Well, what you don't see is Amarillo, as far as how the city runs, they've got over 2,200 employees. And it is a humongous equivalent of a large corporation that has several standalone businesses within that corporation. And all of those things have got to jive and to be successful. Um, I didn't realize that the airport what they call enterprise accounts. The airport has to stand alone. Water and sewage and uh, waste disposal, that has to stand alone as a business. Like they, it has to pay for itself. It has to pay okay. for itself. And it pays for itself with 
the drainage fees, with the water usage, with the sewage usage, with trash pickup, all of those things. But like the airport doesn't get to steal from some other budget item in order to make sure it's still operational. No, no, you don't. And, And our income is somewhat limited. And what I mean by limited is we're either going to get it from property taxes or we're going to get it from uh, sales tax or we're going to get it from fees. Okay. And that's basically the three categories. And so our taxes only account for 30, less than 40%. And our sales tax accounts for another 30 to 40%. And then you've got the rest of it that's going to be in fees and that kind of thing. So uh, I had no idea how all of that ended up having to work. I had no idea how actually the police department had to work. And I had no idea how many police officers we didn't have okay. that we were actually authorized to have, but we couldn't get those police officers. So you compare us over so the 14th largest city in the state, almost all the rest of them are either major cities or they're suburbs of major cities. Okay. And those suburbs of major cities, they have interlocal agreements so that they can, at the edges of it, they can get help from the other cities, whether right. it's police or fire, first responders, all of those kind of things. And we are a standalone. Yeah, like Plano, Texas might yes. borrow from the McKinney Police yeah. Department if necessary. Yeah. yeah, they had all these interlocal agreements, and we couldn't have these interlocal agreements. Mm-hmm. That made things interesting. And and just the whole way that it all ends up having to work. And then what you find out is most of the people that are in the leadership for the city, and I'm not talking about the elected leadership, I'm talking about the employees, employee yeah, leadership, management. like the city managers and the assistant city managers, they could probably, every single one of them, make more money in private sector. Hmm. And uh, I will tell you that some of the best and brightest minds we have in Amarillo are working for the city of Amarillo. Hmm. And that's, that's one thing from the outside. And and you see this every time there's an election, you have candidates, uh, number one, who might have a tendency to, to demonize the city or to blame the city for a lot of things, or maybe to have at least not to give the city the benefit of the doubt. They assume that there's something nefarious going on or they think that the solutions to the problems are easy solutions. Oh. If I were in there, you know, I would just run it like a business. I would do this, this, and this. I would love to. And everything to. would be fixed. Yeah. But, like, it's way more complex. Oh, oh. It's one of the most com- – it is the most complex thing I think that I've ever been involved with. Uh, it was the most rewarding. It was the biggest learning experience. And I love learning. And so that was one of my favorite parts of this. Um, the next thing that it did is I have a completely – it completely – completely changed my perspective on how I look at things and how I see things. And, um, and some people may not agree with this and, and I'm okay with that, but I'm going to tell you that I think one of the most important things for me personally was that we were not a single member district city mm-hmm. because what that meant was that meant from my perspective, I better figure out and learn to and meet people on the North side, on the East side, on all parts of the city because I was expected to understand all of their problems. They're your constituents. They're my constituents. And I've got to represent all of their, I've got to represent everybody in the city of Amarillo. 
And you know what? That's a tall order. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also a rewarding order because I've got lots of friends that I didn't have before and they're all over town. They're not just in a given part of town. They're all over town. And uh, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for that opportunity to, to be able to kind of understand what's going on in North Heights and what North Heights needs and how can I try and help them get where they want to go? And I wasn't always successful with it, but I can dang sure promise you, I, I was fully intended to help them or to help, you know, there's a lot of refugees that live over on the Northeast side of right. town. They just want to live a free life. Right. They're the most grateful people that I have ever run into. It changed my attitudes about gratitude. Hmm. Um, because they were just grateful to be able to live without the threat of being annihilated. Right. And may have come from a place where there wasn't sewer service or water service oh, or, yeah. or like all the things we take for granted. Oh, they may absolutely. have come from someplace where they didn't know that, but that doesn't mean that it's okay to neglect them either. Like you have no, to continue to serve no. that neighborhood no. Even though they're just grateful to be here, right? Well, and like in Eastridge, I think Eastridge Elementary School, they've got like 40 different languages in that one elementary school. You know, when I went to Canyon and went to Gene Hall Elementary, it was like 99% English and, and maybe a few that spoke Spanish. Mm-hmm. And that's all there was. And now then I'm having to figure out how do I help do the best I can as a city to help them navigate and negotiate that we've got 40 different languages being spoken and they are integral parts of our city and they want to be a part of our city. And how do we help them thrive in our city? One thing that's interesting to me about the role in city council is that it's, you're elected to a two year term and the feeling I get, and I've had this conversation with multiple past council members is that at the end of that two years, you feel like you're just, kind of oh. getting your your feet wet. You're just kind of beginning to understand. And then you have to r- run, run again. again and hopefully get elected again. Six years probably felt too long for you. But like by years, you know, three, four or five, like you kind of understood things. And, and maybe, maybe that's good for council members. It is good. And truly, whenever uh, that came up, when we were looking at um, looking at the charter and we had a couple and we had that vote that kind of went sideways on the charter. That was truly the reason behind it. I can tell you really from all of council, but definitely from my part on council was you need to give the individual four years to have a full grasp of what's going on. Now then, if they don't have a full grasp within that four years, they shouldn't be in office again. Hmm. Uh, But if they've got full grasp and and they're still moving forward and they're doing well, then, then they deserve an opportunity for another term. Um, I'm all for limiting the number of terms that you end up having. Cause I think being in office is too long. I think you need to yeah. turn it over because there's other people that are just like me who have no idea what's going on and they need to be involved. Uh, the other thing about that was that I really thought that was going to be very important was the fact of it was going to then stagger terms. And so you would You're never not all new at once. Yeah. It's not a fire sale. Yeah. Potentially. Um, and, uh, be that as it may, this is what we have. And so, you know, you'll learn to live with it. I, I don't understand how guys like for price, how he did what he did on a state representative level. And he ran every two years mm-hmm. and it got to the point, the, 
I felt like that I was almost running for office all the time. And it, and I, I would like to see that office even be something more like a four-year term so that they can focus on, oh, I don't like this term, but it's the best term, focus on the governing. Okay. As opposed to constantly yeah, being having, a having to get back into the position. Yeah. The, the last governing sort of question I want to ask you, and, and this is not something I, I think that really gets talked about in public, but like you're on city council and you're also running a business as a dentist that requires you to be, you know, working on teeth. Yeah. The council job, which is pretty much a volunteer job. It you're is. not making any money. Oh, you're 10 making bucks. very 10 bucks. Yeah. You're 260 bucks a year. Enough money to buy your lunch that day, maybe. Yeah. Um, how does it impact someone who is trying to run a business or support a family or have a career? You know what? It's really difficult. I mean, it's real difficult. Um, you know, thank goodness, um, Nathaniel Averett's my partner. Um, and so he could pick up the slack. Um, the other thing is, is I am so grateful for all of those people that are patients of our practice because they were very supportive and very understanding because it may change the way that I, not the way that I treated them, mm -hmm. but in the time frame of which I yeah. can get it couldn't to the come things. in on Tuesdays, yeah. right? Yeah, right. I couldn't come in on Tuesdays. And the other thing that I was grateful for that it, especially for Nathaniel uh, helping me with that was the one thing, the big thing that I didn't understand was about to happen was I could, I could manage the after work, the lunches, the breakfasts, the meetings, the different things that I had to go to. I could manage that. The thing that I wasn't ready for was the second that I turned something off, I couldn't turn things off that were going on in the city. Hmm. There was con there's always yeah. something. There's you could leave always. work behind the yeah. dental work at night. Yeah. But not Oh, but then then we're having a problem with animal management and welfare or we're having uh, a problem with trash. That was yeah. always such a big issue. Yeah. And in a windy city, that makes <laughs> it even more. Um and so there's all of these different things and the second that you stop, so I can tell you, I used to read for leisure. I, ha I did not read one time for leisure because the second I would go to pick up a Vince Flynn novel or something like mm -hmm. that, I'd pick it up and boom, there'd be something. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Or I'd get an email or I'd get a phone call. or So it was the part that I didn't realize was that my mind was going to be constantly running and uh, it really was a full-time thought job, at least. I want to ask this. You've, you've worked in Amarillo for, what, 40 Almost. Years? Almost yeah. 40 years. Um, and then you've been immersed in the city government the past six years. I, I wonder, like, maybe what you've come to understand about the city from a broader perspective. Maybe it's character, the people that live here, the, the place that we live. Um, what's your perspective on Amarillo? Um, uh, my perspective, that part of it in some ways hadn't changed. Um, there's not a better place to live. I mean, if I had to do it all over again, would I do it? I absolutely would do it all over again. Including the council room? Including the council part. It was every bit of it was worth it. I mean, just to be able to learn and to understand and to see what goes on. And, uh, the other thing that it changed was my, of uh, my perspective is I, I can't sit at home. Hmm. 
I've got to be involved. So if people are saying, I want to help make Emerald a better, well, then you've got to figure out how you're going to make help make Emerald a better. Your presence doesn't just do it automatically. No. Right? Well, I will say this. The presence of people here in Emerald is pretty great. You know, people are really good. They're really helpful. Uh, they're very generous. It's one of the reasons that I want my kids to come back here and raise their kids here. It's the, the people are outstanding. Um, and it's an outstanding place to be, and it's an outstanding place to live. And regardless of the wind, we've got the best weather in the world. Mm -hmm. we, we have four full seasons. And you go to a lot of other places, they've got two. Yeah. Hot and cold. Or something. Or wet and dry. Or wet and dry, yeah. So, I mean, it's still, it's a great place. It's a great place to live. My perspective is even more, I think one of the things that I learned most about all of this was, um, I thought my, maybe I thought my opinion was worth a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, the best thing that I could do was I learned, because I had to do this, um, I learned that I needed to be quiet let people speak, let them fully tell me everything, figure out how to ask them the right questions. It's kind of like you doing this. You're sitting here figuring out what questions you want to ask your guest, and I'm sure you don't have them all written down. Things come up. And so it's, it's all about listening and then figuring out how you come alongside somebody and help them get to the position where they want. I think I'm probably a relatively judgmental person, but I don't think I'm judgmental as much so anymore. Um, I used to be a pretty black and white person. Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty gray person now. Okay. You, you learn to maybe give the benefit of the doubt. Oh, you have to. With, because things are so complex. They are. Or instead of jumping to a conclusion. Well, how about this? What, if it's so complex at the city, how, how can somebody's life not be maybe even less complex right. than that? Or making assumptions about motive in, in a lot oh, of cases. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And whenever you have to start talking to people and then you really found out what their motives were, and my, and my thought of what their motives were is 180 degrees in the other, other direction, and then I realize, man, I'm glad I didn't open my mouth and yeah. say something really stupid. I could do that. Pretty easy. This episode of Hey Morello is supported by Blue Handle Publishing, a local publishing company that has been producing some amazing recent titles. One of their newest authors is Ray Franz, a former options trader at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the Chicago Board of Trade. Now, Ray's knowledge and exposure to stories of the Chicago mob has brought to life his debut novel. It's called The Heights, and it's a work of historical organized crime fiction. The Heights is available now. It's just recently come out. People are talking about it. Really good reviews. So look for The Heights and learn more at bluehandlepublishing.com. Okay, I'm back with Eddie Sauer. Eddie, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and it promotes the stories of this region in order to build community, enhance learning, and nurture creativity. You can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, first question, and I know that you've spent a ton of time talking or thinking about this, but when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? Let me qualify this a little bit. So when I'm seeing questions that you might be asking on this eight straight, right off the bat, I can tell you 
the last six years have had a huge effect on how okay. I would answer. So your answers right now probably are different from what your answers would oh, have been. Oh, absolutely. Ten years. So ago. what I think uh, about ten, Anne Morella ten years from now. Okay, first thing is the west side of the loop will be finished or close to being finished. I it might take all ten years though, right? No, it will. It will, and it will be hundreds of millions of dollars. But it will be finished. Um, and maybe I-27 will be full-fledged in the, in the beginning to develop it out and, okay. get, it, and get it done. And so uh, I see Amarillo as huge. And then you have to think about this. So these are some things that I think completely change what Amarillo looks like. Sharpened Iron Studios. Producers on Beef. Bell and the V280 Valor contract. That's 3,000 jobs, new jobs, mm-hmm. that are going to end up in Amarillo over the next 10 years. Kids, Inc., the complex yeah. that they're building out there. And piggybacked on that, I know WT's chomping at the bit because they would love to have an indoor track. And it would be only the third one in the Lone Star Conference. Okay. And so that would mean if that's the case, then we're going to have indoor We're going to have Division Two. We're going to get the Division Two national championship here. Hmm. So, I mean, those are the kind of things that I'm looking at at ten years from now, and I'm saying, boy, we better buckle up because Amarillo has got a lot of things, and I've and I'm missing some things like uh, CVMR, which is basically the mineral refining, right? And what that ends up bringing into town or Amazon. Now, how about this about Amazon? And I remember this from whenever they made their statement when they were opening up their first one. Um, They even made the comment that usually if we open one, we open another. So I'm just waiting for them to say, Mm -hmm. make some announcement. Okay, we're going to open up a second facility. And so you start thinking about those kind of things end up happening. And we have I-27 coming through and we have now we have I-27 and I-35. So you start thinking about, okay, where are other places where east-west crossroads are? Oh, Oklahoma City, I-40 and I-35. Oh, how about Albuquerque, I-25 and I-40. And they are hustling, bustling, growing cities because they become hubs. And we're already somewhat of a hub, a regional hub. Um, But I think in the next 10, 20 years, we become a huge hub. And what you know from your work with the council is, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of linchpin things, businesses, um, you know, sporting opportunities, transportation, all that stuff. But like there are second order effects for all those things that go into housing and availability of homes. And are there sewer lines running to these places? And like, that's where all the complexity comes in because all those things could bring growth, but then how do you, handle that growth? How do you manage that? Oh, yeah. And so that's currently, that's going to be sitting, uh, and I think this council realizes that, that's sitting right in front of them. Is That's hundreds of millions of dollars of investment that you've got to partner with developers and builders and all of those things so that we have more more homes and more businesses yeah. and all of those things so that they can thrive and be very successful. So it's, I, I think it's exciting, actually. Okay, other than wind, what does this area have too much of? Nothing. Really? Yeah, we, we need more of everything. Okay. I think we need more of everything. Um, whatever we have, we don't have enough of it. There's a mindset that some people 
want growth. Some people want growth, but worry that growth will change the personality of a place. Like if we get too much, we might end up like Austin struggling under the weight of all this influx. Yeah. But what happens if we get too much and we end up like Fort Worth? Hmm. Fort Worth. How many times have you heard Fort Worth is just a great big Amarillo? Or have you heard that Oklahoma City is just a great big Amarillo? I guess what I'm telling you is I don't subscribe to that. Okay. I think that uh, a city's personality is a city's personality. And I don't think that you necessarily have to stray all the way away from that. Um, and Fort Worth has got a little big city personality. Yeah. And so does Oklahoma City. So why can't we have a little big city personality too? I think we will. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? Housing. Straight yeah. up housing. Yeah. You know, we're not building nearly enough houses. And it's and so that's the conundrum. All of this is is going to happen. There's nothing we can do that's going to keep it from happening. I think the linchpin on that is those companies that are coming here, like Bell and produce their own beef. And then the designation of I-27 has finally been given and we're working through that. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming. Let's just figure out how to steward it to make us great. Okay. What's one local nonprofit you appreciate? This is not a fair question. Okay. You can give me two if you want to. I'm going to give you a bunch. Okay. So I served on the board for Turn Center for probably 10 or 12 years. And what Turn Center has developed into and what they're doing for kids that have got problems, it's just outstanding. But I can't stop there. I mean, uh, Park, Downtown Women's, Heal the City, Outdoor Amarillo, Blank Spaces, Faith City Mission, Kids Incorporated. I mean, and the list kind of goes on. Now, then here's the next thing. Every single one of those has got somebody that's a friend of mine that's involved in it. Yeah. And they're passionate about it. And, and that's part of the thing that just makes it, that make them so great and so unique is they're passionate about it and they're following them through and um, they deserve our service. Okay. What's your favorite local neighborhood? You know what? We moved into Bivens in 2019 and uh, we always lived out. Well, I grew up between Emerald and Canyon off right across from Mescalera Park. So when we weren't there, then we were on the south edge of Amarillo, like over by Gene Howe. And so I've always lived on this southern side of town. Mm -hmm. And when we moved and bought the the house that we bought from uh, Dr. Curry and his wife um, and moved to Bivens, I never realized what living central in the city actually meant. I can get to anywhere in town mm -hmm. in five or 10 minutes and the traffic over on the South on bell and culture and Sansi drives me crazy. Yeah. Now. You're so, one of those people who's complaining about the, uh, the well, edges I'm of not, town now, right? I, I'm not complaining. You're not complaining. You're I'm just, not, I'm, that, it's a, it's just it's a evidence fact. of good things. It's However, an act. It's a fact of life. You've gotten spoiled then. Yes. And living over in Bivens, it's, it's a beautiful neighborhood and, I will tell you, so you've got the Bivens home over there. Mm -hmm. So that's about the wealthiest of the wealthy to you've got some of the poorest of the poor that are yeah. homes. That and are that there. transition is just like two or three blocks. Yeah, it's two or three blocks. And it's the neighborhood's got a ton of character and, 
and believe it or not, people are all friendly all the way through mm-hmm. the whole deal. And so it's just, it's, it's almost like a microcosm of the entire city of Amarillo. So okay. I think it's pretty cool. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? I love everything Mexican. We love Mexican food. Uh, but I will tell you, probably one of my favorites is Public House. Okay. And it's a, it, and we enjoy eating at Public House or go to OHMS or those others. Um, and Public House is owned by some friends. And, yeah. of course, in Amarillo, it's still about relationships. Yeah. Okay, what's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? The sunsets, the sunrises, and the cool, crisp mornings. Okay. They're absolutely the best. And some of the things that are real interesting, several years ago, when was it Mount St. Helens erupted or whatever? And next thing you know, the jet stream is bringing that volcanic dust in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember, but those those mornings and those evenings were stunning. Because of the particles in the air yeah. and the sunsets. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so you drive these other places, and unfortunately you've got trees that block your ability to really see the horizon and see the beautiful sunsets and sunrises. So... And we don't have a lot of uh, light pollution at night, so you really get to enjoy the stars. And I've got several friends that they still say Merle's got too much light pollution, so they'll go out to places like Buffalo Lake and mm-hmm. Stargaze. So you don't have to go very far, and you can see the heavens, which is... So we've got some great, fantastic outdoors. Okay. The last question is, when was the last time you visited the Big Texan? Probably really. It's probably been a couple of years. Um, we have some friends that were from Dallas and they were going to go skiing. And so they come through and they go, Hey, we're going to come to town. So they, their two kids at that point in time were middle school and they go, let's meet and go to dinner. And Tina and I go, Oh, we know the perfect place mm-hmm. to take them. So we took them out to the big Texan and it just so happened that there were three guys on stage at the same time trying to eat the 72 ounce steak. And so it was, the food was good, and it was absolute entertainment. Okay. I would say if you're lucky, you get to see somebody do that. Yeah. But there's pretty much always somebody trying to do oh, it. So. Yeah, there is. So, yeah, and it's Everybody's fun. lucky. Yeah, it's always fun. Okay, well, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? I would just say you just need to stop and take a look at Amarillo. I loved Amarillo before I was on city council. But I absolutely, after being on city council, I absolutely adore Amarillo. There's nothing, there's no place better. And I will always be an ambassador for Amarillo. It is, if I'm going to endorse something, I'll endorse everything Amarillo. Okay. Eddie Sauer, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Eddie for the interview. You can learn more about his practice at shimandental.com. Thanks also to Wick Realty, Blue Handle Publishing, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the podcast. And thank you for listening. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Patrick Burns, Katie Linger, Jason Burr, Wes Reeves, Josh Wood, Corey Burns, Cindy Graham, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 324. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.